Hi, and welcome to Adoption, the journey of becoming chosen. Um, This week's episode is called Everybody Loves an Underdog, and I don't have like any announcements. I feel like there's always something that I try to update at the beginning of the podcast, but I don't have anything, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, You know, I can't speak for everyone, but I have yet to meet someone who was like, I can't stand the underdog. But I guess unless maybe you're like the person that's being beat by them. So if that is you, maybe there's some internal work for you to do if you don't really like underdogs. Um, I think like David and Goliath is one of the most popular underdog stories I grew up hearing about. Um, If you're unfamiliar, it was basically this tiny man with no armor and a rock and a sling against the largest and scariest soldier who was covered in metal from head to toe. So this was like a long time ago. And spoiler alert, David wins. And right before the battle, he is told um, to put on the armor of the king. And as he tries to get comfortable in the armor, he quickly declines and insists that he has, he's like, I got this under control. He knows what he's doing. Um, a point that is made a lot is that because David was so sure of himself and stuck to what he was gifted at, that this is ultimately why he won. He Had he kept the armor on, he couldn't have been agile enough to defeat the giant. Um, and I also want to add um, that had the king insisted that David go into battle the way he would have, um, David would have ultimately died, I think, and they would have lost the battle. So... The king and the people in charge had to trust that David knew what he was doing. And just because he was doing it differently or a way they could never imagine, it didn't mean that it was wrong. And it was exactly what needed to happen. Um, Another place that I think you see underdogs a lot is in sports. And I mean, I'm not like the biggest sports person. Um, I watch, I can watch a game and like, I understand what's happening. I'm not someone who's like, oh my gosh, like where does the ball go or whatever? Like I get it. Like I can watch a game. Um, but this is just some context for those of you who know me, know this story. But, um, this was with some of my friends in Lexington, um, And I was trying to prove to them how much I didn't know about sports. And I was like, I know sports. I just like don't know the teams or the people. And so one of my friends was like, "Um, well, who does LeBron James play for? And I was like, I don't know, the Denver Broncos. And that was like the first, that was just the first sports team that came up in my mind. And then he roasted me so hard and he was like, are you kidding me? He's in Cleveland. And I was like, okay, first of all, I later learned I got the sport wrong. So if I got the sport wrong, you think I'm going to know what city he's in? Like, no. But anyway, that just is like a little fun, a little extra, totally unrelated to anything relevant on this podcast. Um, anyways, but I will typically root for the underdog. Personally, I think it's because I've watched enough sports to know that when you're seen as like the statistical loser, you just have more to prove. You want it more, you work harder, you fight because there's more at stake. I think like nearly every time a team starts pulling away, they just get a little cocky and then start missing like critical shots or plays and find themselves losing a game. They should have probably won in their sleep. It's like, you know, an upset. You see this in film, you read it in books, it's in the workplace, it's in your family, it's everywhere. The storyline is very usual. 
Um, but I think there's a difference in an upset and an underdog. In an upset, there is something a little more statistical about it. It's not something that like could change the course of history. Typically, it's like a one and done moment. And I think the power of the underdog is that they aren't just fighting for their own cause. They are fighting for something bigger than themselves. Um, like when you live under, like an underdog lives under enough, you see so much above or at the top you want to change. You watch how others are treated for better or for worse. You witness injustice, unfairness, and are unsure of how you could help. Um, an underdog sees those underneath them and those beside them. What leads them to victory is their desire to see radical change. Um, I think what drives them is a fight for something that won't just be for their benefit. Um, when I was young, I had a love-hate relationship with the movie Mulan. I was thrilled to see that there was a movie where someone looked like me. I didn't necessarily have those words, but I remember being relieved that I finally had someone I could dress up for Halloween-like. Uh, but at the same time, she was so masculine. And the premise of her success was because her ability was by her ability to mask herself as a man. She was tough. And I didn't really appreciate that when I was younger. I do now. But when I was younger, I didn't. She was so much different than the rest. Um she outsmarted and beat an entire army of men. She did this, you know, to save her family and her father. Um, in this process, she ends up being able to, like, change the perception of women um, by the men that are in the army and then also other women. She, M Mulan, was an underdog. The odds were against her. Society was against her. And yet she came out on top. And it inspired me and so many other little girls and hopefully little boys to stand up to the bully and to fight for what is right, no matter what the cost was. Um, you know, there's so many other stories I could tell, but I don't have time, but it's inspiring to watch someone who has the odds against them and to see them beat their opponent or change the world around them. And the question I think we have to ask ourselves is why were they the underdog in the first place? Why wasn't their potential already seen? The reality is we have all been or at least felt like an underdog and we have all felt or been the projected winner. Um, for some of us, we will never crawl out from under feeling like an underdog and it will be the self-fulfilling prophecy, which is really sad. Um, I don't wish that on anyone to have this underdog mentality. Um, disclaimer, I think there is also a difference in having the odds against you and being completely oppressed. Um, when you're experiencing oppression or abuse, this is more than just a moment to overcome. These are things that will follow you for life and they're intended to keep you down and feel worthless. So I don't want to minimize those who have experienced this type of trauma. I know that the term underdog doesn't do some people's experience justice. Um, and when you're a person of color, when you are an immigrant, when you're a woman, um, whether you're adopted or in the foster system or part of the LGBTQI plus community, if you have any type of physical or mental disability, and I mean, so on and so forth, 
you're going to fall into this category of underdog at some point. And I don't think people go out into the world thinking I'm the underdog, but you do go out into the world and people statistically rate you as an underdog or other or them versus us. And there's some something sickly comforting sometimes about knowing there is someone else beneath you or behind you. At least I'm not as bad as, or at least they, or at least I don't. Um, how many times have you said that about someone else? I mean, for me personally, if I'm really honest, daily. Uh, I think with the spotlight on race right now, I find myself comforted that my racism isn't as bad as someone else's, which is sick and gross and really disgusting. And it uncovers the like the darkness, the insecurities, the blame that just lurks beneath the surface. And if I'm not, if you're not careful enough, we can quickly go from being an underdog to an oppressor or an arrogant sore loser. And I think that's like a tough pill to swallow and to face, but it is so true. Growing up, I was always told, you know, God has a plan for you. You're going to do great things. God wouldn't have brought you all this way for nothing. Um, and I don't want to take that for granted. I know so many people who have grown up with parents who beat them down with their words and withhold their love. And so I'm grateful for those words. Um, but it did turn into a complex and into pressure at some point. And I couldn't like pinpoint the moment, but that is what it slowly snowballed into. And although it was never meant that way, I internalized those words to mean like your life has to mean something or your life has to honor God every step of the way. Um, I think I've thought this a million times, something along the lines of like, you had to be abandoned in order for God to quote, use you. I mean, talk about being led into an underdog story without realizing it. And I know there was no malintent, no bad intentions behind it, but we all try to make sense of our lives and why things had to happen. So I grew up believing that it was God who made my bio mom abandon me so that I could live this so-called purpose-filled life. Um, fast forward, in one of my required classes um, for Young Life, we read this book called Work of the Heart. Um, it was a breakdown of several major players in the Bible and talked about the work of their heart and how God helped, how they help God's people. And one of those people was Moses. Um, when he was born, Pharaoh, if you don't know the story um, or need a reminder, um, when he was born, Pharaoh had been trying to oppress the Hebrews. He had enslaved them and hired these brutal slave drivers to try and keep them under his rule. Um, however, it the more he oppressed them, the more the Israelites' numbers grew. And he started to fear that they would overpower him. And it, became, it made him paranoid. His paranoia led him to making a decree that if there is any son born to a Hebrew or the Israelites, that they would be killed immediately. That's how terrified he was of this group of oppressed people overthrowing him. Um, and Moses, Moses was born to a Hebrew family. Um, and it was said that Moses's mother believed that he would do incredible things. And so he was abandoned by his mother and floated down a river. Um, and then he was later found and adopted into the Pharaoh's home, who was an Egyptian. So he had the blood of a Hebrew, the oppressed, and the citizenship of an Egyptian through this adoption. So now Moses had the privilege of an Egyptian who wanted him dead originally, 
but the history and the blood of the oppressed of those who were being enslaved. So when Moses got older, he saw an Egyptian slave driver beating up a Hebrew man and he became enraged and ended up killing the Egyptian. I think there was something in Moses that woke him up. He saw people were being abused and stripped of their dignity and he couldn't stand it any longer. And those people uh, could have been his family. And of course, Pharaoh heard about this and um, wanted Moses dead. And so Moses fled from Egypt as fast as he could. There is so much depth to uncover in this account, but I can't get into that. Um, and the story goes that God speaks to Moses through fire, through a burning bush that wouldn't burn. And God got his attention with something miraculous and out of the ordinary, but also something so simple. Once God has Moses' attention, he says, you know, go to Pharaoh and free my people and I am with you. And God tells Moses to go in the name of his ancestors, his blood relatives that are a part of him. And so Moses was hesitant and scared at first, as I think any of us would have been. But he obeys God. He stood up to Pharaoh, um, the man who allowed him to be in his home, the man who allowed him to live and grow up, to be educated and clothed. Moses found himself demanding that his people be let go. You know, his entire life, his people were the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, people who were his friends, his colleagues, his neighbors, his family. Moses and Pharaoh go, you know, back and forth. And finally the people are freed. Although it wasn't that simple, there were 10 plagues that would have to happen to the Egyptians before Pharaoh realized he was outmatched. And even after that, he had a change of heart. He went back on his deal and tried to go after Moses and free and after the free people. He did not want to liberate the slaves. He wanted them back as slaves. And one of the most famous miracles of all time, the parting of the Red Sea happens and Moses and his people make it across safely. Moses's birth mom said the same thing about him that I grew up being told, that God is going to do amazing things through you, that God has a plan for you, that God wouldn't have brought you all the way here without it being for a reason. And it begs the question, was I or Moses or anyone else destined to play a part of God's greater story simply because we were abandoned? And this is something that I have and will wrestle with the rest of the days of my life. On one hand, I do not believe that God makes bad things happen. I believe that he uses bad things to do good. Do I believe God made Egypt enslave the Israelites? No, absolutely not. Do I think that Moses would have been able to do what he did without being abandoned? without Pharaoh decreeing for the sons of the Hebrews to be murdered? No, I think that had to happen or Moses would not have been able to do what he did. He would not have had the power to go to Pharaoh and communicate what needed to happen. It was as if only Moses was able to do that. He was both Hebrew and Egyptian. And I feel this pressure a lot. A lot of it is sometimes self-inflicted. But I put myself in situations where I want to be this trailblazer and not for my sake, but for the sake of people who might come after me. I want to make sure that when I make decisions, it's going to be for the best in the long term. I am not an instant gratification person. I mean, I am in some ways, but for the most part, no. I see the long game and if I believe in it enough, I will do whatever it takes to get there. No matter what the sacrifice will be, it will be worth it. What I've realized is I think I have that mentality and drive because I want to believe that that's what my birth mom saw in me. 
just like Moses. I want to believe that she didn't have any other choice, that my life would have been in danger. And she knew that I would be part of a Moses type change in the world. I wanted to believe that my life mattered enough that even though I would be separated from my culture, my ancestors, my country, I would be given a new name. I would follow different customs and speak a different language and that it it would all be worth it in the long run. And I think I had to believe that because the pain of that was, if that wasn't true, felt way too overwhelming and way too permanent. I think the questions I would end up asking myself are, you know, everybody loves an underdog, but would they love an orphan? Would they be able to love someone who was rejected and abandoned by their mother, by their country? No matter the circumstances, would I ever find a place in this world? Would it matter if I was in this world, if I didn't make it better once I left? Did my life amount to more if I was alive than if she wouldn't have had me? And I know these are painful questions for myself and for adoptees and parents and families of adoptees and maybe anyone really, but it's the reality of what tumble drives in my mind over time. And sometimes it's loud and sometimes it's so quiet I barely know it's there. I wouldn't call myself a revolutionary. I don't go out seeking a revolution, but I find myself on the brink of one at all times. Um, There are these moments where I see through the status quo or what's always been done and it sparks this desire to create change. Um, Making the hard decision for the greater good is one of the best feelings in my opinion. Being able to take the punch, verbal punch in my case, being unpopular, making the unpopular call, being disagreed with, taking the fall or blame for others. Um, I've had people try to get me fired over my beliefs and took their concerns to my supervisor and the supervisor above them. Uh, You know, people thinking or saying degrading things, attempting to intimidate me. And even within my job, being threatened that someone would withdraw their financial support because they disagree with a decision. And these are all true stories, all true moments in my life. And those things just don't scare me. They make me sad sometimes and maybe even angry, but never scared. Um, In fact, it sometimes motivates me to stand my ground even more. You know, regardless of your feelings about Colin Kaepernick, I've recently learned that he is adopted. And to be honest, it all made sense. Um, Back when he knelt on the football field during the national anthem to honor his black brothers and sisters, he did something revolutionary. He was willing to lose his career, his money, his endorsements, his reputation, his ability to play the game he loved, all because he believed in something so deeply, he risked it all. He was willing to lose it all because he saw the bigger vision. He saw what his actions could do or might do or could say. He was willing to lose everything because I think he had already lost everything once before. He had already survived the worst abandonment he had ever felt. So being abandoned by his team or his teammates or um, his country even, it he had already survived something worse as a child of being separated from his biological family. And he survived that. And so this probably felt like nothing. And uh, my therapist always tells me, you have survived the worst thing that could ever happen to you when I'm spiraling or 
just feeling the weight of the world or the weight of my abandonment or when I look in the world to see the mess it has to offer. Um, and it brings me peace and comfort and helps me realign and see like the bigger picture. If you're listening to this and you are adopted, then you've made it pretty far. Uh, you know, we're survivors. It makes us tough. We have grit. We're hardwired to endure hard things. Um, and is that right? I don't know, but I know it's true. One of the biggest things about adoptees is how we can see the bigger picture. You might not realize that you're doing it, but if you look back at your life, my guess is that you will see a pattern in your actions where you saw beyond the present moment. You saw the world differently than everyone around you, your friends, your families, your teachers. Um, You could spot the outsider quickly. Whether or not you acted on it is another story. But when you see someone left out or seemingly abandoned, you notice them. For those of us who are from a different country than our family, I think we have a unique unique stance. You know, we straddle the line of the family you know and the family you came from. And that's a seemingly complicated backstory. And I think now more than ever, we have to use our voices for good. Watching what is happening to people, children who are immigrants and are being sent to these detention centers, which I think in history will have a much more accurate and cruel name because what they are doing to those people is inhumane. But if you were adopted internationally, then part of you feels the collective trauma that they are experiencing, whether you know it or not. We immigrated here because two families believed it was in our best interest to come into this country, which is why most people try to come to America. They want the freedom. They want the opportunity. They want to escape a place that might leave them dead, just like Moses. This is an uncomfortable conversation, but there are going to be people in your family who are anti-immigration. I'm sure there's people listening who are anti-immigration. And as someone who's adopted, it feels personal, whether you realize that or not, that I am an immigrant. And even though I came through the channel of adoption, that doesn't make me less of an immigrant than the children and the families who are seeking asylum or a better life. And so that is a really hard conversation to have with your family, who you love and who you're like, if you feel so strongly against immigration, how can you love me? And being told like, well, it's different. That doesn't make that sting, that pain go away. It just sits there. And I think that is something that um, it's really important for families who are adopting to understand that their child is going to see the world differently. They're going to pick up on oppression and suppression and people being left out and abused differently than you would because that is that is or could have been part of their story. If you are a non-Black family and you have adopted a Black child, um, you have got to get with it with Black Lives Matter because they're depending on you to educate yourself be aware, teach them, surround them with other people who look like them and have life experience that's going to be similar to theirs. Because if you are non-white, you will never be able to have the experience that they're about to live. So it really doesn't matter how you feel about Black Lives Matter. 
your child is your family. And if your child, you know, couldn't see, you would take them to the eye doctor to help them get glasses so that they could see because that's your child. If they have a, you know, um, food allergies, you would make sure that you would not give them food with those allergens in them. And this is more important and also no different that this is your child. And just because they're there, they're your child, that does not then erase or prevent or shield them from having the experience that a black person lives in America. And so I am begging you on their behalf to educate yourself, surround yourself with other people who understand what it's like to be black in America because you owe it to that child. Um, you owe it to yourself and to your family. And so that goes for anyone who adopts anyone from a different culture than their own. Um, but I think it is just so, I would be, I would be hypocritical, um, to everything I've shared on this podcast and will continue to share if I, if I don't say that now. If you want to have a long-lasting, healthy, loving relationship with your child who's adopted, it is your job to educate yourself. Um, don't make them be your educator. Just Google something, follow people on Instagram or Facebook or social media, wherever you get your information and start diversifying the voices and stories that you're learning about. There are so many other ways that you see yourself in the stories of other people. For example, if you see someone who is homeless as an adopted person, there's part of you that's consciously or unconsciously saying like, that could have been me. And this is why it is so important for us adoptees to get it right within ourselves because we have already overcome the worst thing that could have ever happened to us and we survived. So do the work, get it right within yourself. And for those of you who are not adopted, I mean, the same is true for you. We are no good to others when we aren't good to ourselves. If you are an adoptee, you might not be in a place where you, you know, quote, need to hear it right now. But if I've learned anything one day, not far off, you will need it. Um, but you need to know and remind yourself that you were deeply loved before you were abandoned. You were destined for greatness, regardless of your abandonment. You have the freedom to fully embrace all of who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And even if people around you can't quite grasp it or aren't fit to carry that with you, you are not alone. And if I've learned anything um, on this journey is that, that I am not alone. I am only alone if I let myself be. There are too many people on this planet for you to be alone. Normalize talking about your adoption. Normalize talking about your abandonment. It is part of your story and to, to deny any part of you will prevent you from ever becoming fully whole. You can't heal something you're, you're unwilling to let go of. If you have a huge gash on your arm and you're unwilling to let your you know, let go of it and you keep your hand over it, it can never be healed. So be brave. You can do it. Open up to yourself, to someone else. And if they don't get it, move on to someone else. You have to find the people you can trust with these deep and painful emotions. 
And not everyone is cut out for it. And that will come with disappointment, but you will survive it and you will move on and you'll push through and find healing in relationships. But you just got to give it some time and you got to give it a try. Be David, be Mulan, be Moses, be you. Your story isn't finished. It's not over. I don't know what is planned for you, but we are many and your story matters. And when you suppress your origin story, you suppress yourself. So be free, be proud, let your voice be heard because when it is, it gives hope to the orphan inside each of us. We know the pain of being left and we've learned to cope or avoid, but it's time to come out of hiding and face yourself because you know what they say, everybody loves an underdog. As always, thanks so much for listening. It is always a choice. Next week's episode is called Flight Risk, and we're going to be talking all things therapy, one of the most life-changing and best decisions I ever made. Um, It will be released on Wednesday, and you will be able to find it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much, and have a great day.